Amen. Well, you guys can be seated, and why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus. We are in uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14. We want you to have a Bible in front of you, so uh, our ushers are coming around. If you don't have one, you can just get their attention. They'd be glad to give you one, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. And uh, man, it was great last week to be able to go and preach outside in shorts and flip-flops by the splash pad. That was a lot of fun, but I am really glad to be back here and just get back into Exodus. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 14, just kind of bring you back up to speed, recap where we've been. We just watched God uh, send the 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt, and the last one was the worst. He was going to come and kill the firstborn, and so he made a way so that the children of Israel would escape that, that they could uh, have him pass over because there was a sacrificial lamb that died in their place, and, and, and so God did that, and he did. He killed the firstborn of the, uh, of the Egyptians, and so Pharaoh's finally like, just Get out. We're tired of you being here. And so they're leaving, and, and God is leading them out by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. But, but, but even though Pharaoh has, has let them go, God's not done yet teaching this lesson on salvation. And so here we are, Exodus chapter 14. We come to uh, the parting of the Red Sea. Quite honestly, this is one of the most famous, most iconic stories in all of the Bible, all right? This is going to be in every kid's Bible that you have. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you could kind of picture Charlton Heston, right, as Moses. Maybe some of you, yes. Or maybe you saw Prince of Egypt or any number of depictions of this. We've all seen this. We know this story, right? But here's, here's what I want to make clear to you today, all right? This is what we're going to see. The, the, the parting of the Red Sea and crossing through this is a picture of salvation. We got to get that. Okay, so, so, so this story is not uh, a pattern, okay, that, that we can start to apply to any difficult situation that we have. Like, like, like if you're having a bad day or, or you're going through something really difficult, you're in, a, you're in a tough situation that you could just look back to this story and remember, you can count on God to deliver you and he's miraculously going to lead you out of that and, and, and fix all of the circumstances that you're in. That's not what this story is trying to tell us. This is a picture of how God saves sinners by grace through faith. It's an act of salvation by God that ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus because as we're going to see, Jesus actually is the greater Moses who doesn't just lead us through uh, the, the wilderness out of the Red Sea. Jesus leads us out of slavery to sin. And that's what we want to see. And so, so, so here's what this means. Here's, here's what you do with this today. Here's what I'm hoping that God is going to do in your heart. First, I think I, I, I want us to treasure Jesus. I want us to be in love with Jesus. And, and, and for some of you, that means this, this might actually be encouraging because you might feel like your faith is, you know, it's kind of plateaued. It's, it's kind of stagnant. It's kind of stale, like things are just kind of going through the motions. And I'm, I'm, what, what, what you need is to take a, a fresh look and get a sense of awe and love for Christ because of his love for you and what he did for you on the cross, his grace to save you even though you didn't deserve it. 
And so the exodus then, it helps us, one, look back in gratitude to what he's already done in leading us out of slavery and sin. But it also helps us look forward to the future in hope because of what he's going to do when he comes back, when he returns, and his final judgment against his enemies, and he's going to lead us into the new heavens and the new earth. So that's an awesome picture. That should give us a sense of hope, and it ought to make us just fall in love and treasure Jesus again. But it also should help us share Jesus. Understanding the gospel helps you know how to share the gospel clearly. And, and I just got to tell you, I have heard some really cool stories. I wasn't going to share anything, but like I got to tell you, like Chris Murphy, like that guy was telling me, where, where's he at? Is he over like Chris Murphy? He was like sharing the gospel, like a two-hour co- gospel conversation with somebody as they're training for a marathon. I have no idea how that's even physically possible. I would be like sucking air trying to do it. I love it. And I've heard other stories of how you guys are getting out and sharing the gospel with your neighbors and reaching people, the, the lifeguard at the pool, JT. I, I, I love that you guys are trying to share the gospel. We're getting after it. And so this is going to help us. Because the more we understand this, as we're turning conversations to Jesus, we want to point people to what Christ has done for them, not what they think they have to do. We want to make sure that we've got that clear and that we're living and breathing the gospel there. So let me give you the big idea of the text. If you're taking notes, note this. I I just want you to see this in the picture that we're going to read in this story. Here it is. God works judgment and salvation for his glory. And he calls for us to see what he's done and believe. God is working for his glory. That's what we're going to see. But there's a response to that as we're seeing what he has done for us in salvation, that we would see that and that we would believe in that. So so, so I want you to see this in the picture, Exodus chapter 14. We're going to go through the entire chapter today, but let me start here in verse 1, Exodus 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of, I'm going to say, Pi-Hahiroth, okay? I don't know if that's right, but we'll go with it. Between Migdol and the sea in front of baal you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get, here it is, glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of baal And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to, uh, to, to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is a picture of salvation, okay? And, and so when it comes to God saving us, let me, let me give you our part. Can I give you our part? Here's two things I'm going to tell you, but here's the first. Here's what we do. We just watch God work for his glory. That's what we do. We, we, just, we just watch him work, okay? Uh, l- l- let me show this to you. L- l- this, this entire story, actually, I, I kind of want you to think of this almost like a football or, or, or even better, a basketball game, all right? And, and so the, the first four verses are really like when the coach brings the team into the locker room because we're going to go over the game plan. We're getting the pregame strategy, and so God calls Moses into the locker room, and he's like, okay, we're going. Here's, here's the plan, Moses. Here's what I need you to do. Verse 2, he says, tell the people of Israel to turn back to that place that I can't pronounce and encamp facing it by the sea. So, so let's get the map up here because uh, I want to show this to you a little bit. I, I really wanted to be able to use this thing. Yes, I know I probably didn't even need it. It's so close. But, but, but here's where we're coming from. We're starting out in Ramesses all the way down to Sukkot is where they made their way last time. I just want you to notice the promised land is up here in Canaan, but it is likely that this is the trek that they took down into the Red Sea. And so what I want you to see there is instead of heading straight for the promised land, God is taking them down into to stay in the region of Egypt with the Red Sea blocking their way from getting out of the country. Now, you don't have to be a general to realize this is a terrible military strategy. Like, like I thought we were trying to get out. And so, like, Pharaoh... He's, he's going to see them, verse 3, he's going to be able to see that the wilderness has shut them in. So basically, what, here's what God's saying. I want you to go where Pharaoh can trap you. And if that wasn't enough, verse 4, he says, and then I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to pursue you. So God is working yet again to make Pharaoh do exactly what he wants him to do. But this time, it means that he's kind of putting Israel in danger. At least that's what it seems like. And, and if you're Moses, you might be feeling like, listen, listen, no disrespect, coach. But, but, but can I draw up a different play? Like, you know, preferably one that doesn't put us in such a tough spot. I mean, it kind of seems like you want us to go the, the wrong way. All we got to do is go, it doesn't seem that hard. But, but God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get glory over Pharaoh. And they are going to know that I am the Lord. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for. Moses, you're just going to have to trust me that I'm still going to win. And so Pharaoh, back in Egypt, maybe at the, he's probably realizing that he just lost his entire workforce, and now he's going to have to start making bricks by himself. And he's like, well, who made that plan? Why are we doing that? And so, like, let's go get him. And so he gets everybody fired up, and they're going after, they're chasing after him. And then you get to verse 10, and, and, and they finally catch up to him. I just want you to think about this. Can you imagine what this moment must have been like for Israel? I mean, they first, they come to the Red Sea, and they're like, this is cool. We're going to go on a beach vacation. We're going to get a little time. I mean, we've been slaves for 400 years. We're going to get a little R&R by the sea. This is kind of fun. So they start putting on their sunscreen and getting out their boogie boards. They're like, Moses, this is a great idea. And then all of a sudden they hear something. And the ground starts to, like, rumble behind. And, and, and they look back, and all of a sudden the sun is, like, gleaming right in their eyes. And they realize it's reflecting off of the helmets and the swords of the greatest army on earth that is pursuing and barreling down on top of them. You, you, we thought we were free of Pharaoh, and now he's coming after us. What do you do? What did they do? 
They freak out. We're dead. Like, I knew it. Coach, this is a horrible game plan. This, this, is, this is all your fault. And they start questioning God's plan after everything that he's done for them, after everything that they've seen God do here. They start, they, they, they start complaining, and, and, and they, they actually think that they're better off being slaves. Now, now to be fair, um, this is an impossible situation. Now, there's no way for them to stand up to Pharaoh and his army. They've got their backs to the sea. They can't swim it. They don't have any boats. All they got is a bunch of sheep for flotation devices. That's not going to work. There's nowhere to go. We are going to lose. And so look what Moses does. Verse 13. Moses actually calls time out. He calls time out. And he brings them in like, huddle up here, guys. Here, huddle up. But, but, but notice what he does. Instead of saying, guys, just get me the ball and I'll take care of it, he actually points to the Lord. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, you see these guys? You're, ne- you're never going to see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Here's the play, guys. Here's the play. You stand here. Don't say anything. And just watch. You just watch. And I love, like, the, just this, the faith that Moses has in this. Now, now, Moses, he doesn't even know yet exactly how God is going to get them out of this, but he does know that so far all of this is part of God's plan. He said it. This is, it's working out just like God said it was. And God told him that he was going to do this for his glory. He is going to put his character on display and prove again and leave no doubt that he is greater he alone is God. Not, not, not Pharaoh, not the gods of Egypt. There, there's no power that can rival him. He alone is God, and he rules in absolute sovereignty. He's going to get the glory in that because he's going to prove that he is greater. But he's also going to prove that he is just in his judgment of sin. You see, Pharaoh has demonstrated the worst of evil in the biblical narrative so far. I mean, he's been the worst bad guy that we've seen in the Bible so far. But Pharaoh actually embodies uh, our wicked, sinful rebellion against God. And what we're going to see here is, praise God, he deals with evil. God deals with it. He doesn't just let it go unchecked and ignore it. God does what is right. And his judgment against sin is just. He's going to get glory here because he's going to prove again that he is greater and that he's just in his judgment of sin, but also that he's gracious in saving his people. Moses doesn't even know the play yet, but, but, but he's got this confidence that God is going to be faithful because he promised that he was going to do this, even though, think about this, is, Israel is no more deserving than Egypt as they sit here complaining and, and getting sarcastic and, and questioning God and wanting to run back to slavery. And yet God is still going to save them. The point in all of this, as you're seeing this, is that you would just stand back and just be in awe of the glory of God. The Lord, he's the star of the game. He is the only one who can save them out of this impossible situation. And all they're going to do is just watch. Just watch him work. He's going to get the glory. They just watch him do the impossible. Now, I want to make sure that we're 
uh, really clear. This, this does, as we're reading through this, this ought to like, remind us that we really can trust the character of God. We can trust him, even when we're going through difficult things. But we want to be careful not to just apply this as a guarantee that this situation means that, that he's going to save you out of whatever situation and whatever difficult circumstances that you're facing. And it's, it's, it's not that if you're going through something, if you're, you're really struggling with something hard, you can just you know, sit back and let go and let God, and, and, and he's just going to get you out of whatever situation you're in. That's not what he's saying here. But it does mean that we can trust him no matter what. We can trust the Lord in the middle of this. But the impossible situation for us that's reflected in this story is our slavery to sin that separates us from a holy God. You see, we are sinners. It's not just because we do some bad things. It's it's who we are. We are are born into sin. We are spiritually dead. And a dead guy can't do anything. You you can't do anything about that. We are are trapped as slaves. And our our sin separates us from God. and, and, And we deserve judgment. We deserve death. And I don't think I even have to tell you that because I think most of you kind of know that instinctively that at least you, you feel this sense of guilt, you feel this sense of shame. You know something is wrong about the way that I'm living. Something is wrong. And, and, and the problem is there's nothing we can do to change who we are. We, we, can't, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't get the stain of sin out. We, we, we can't make ourselves better and, and make ourselves somehow deserving. And I'm telling you, if you're trying to do that, it's not going to work. There's nothing we could do about it. We can't reach God. The Bible actually helps us understand we actually don't want to. We love our sin. We don't want to be obedient to God. Even though we hate and we're miserable living in the consequences of our sin, we still are in rebellion against God. We cannot get out. It's impossible. And this story, what this, what, what, what this is doing for us is giving us a picture because just as God is going to get Israel out as they just helplessly stand by and watch in awe, so God brings us out and delivers us from slavery to sin. Not by anything we do, but by what he has done. And as we read the gospel story, we, we see Je- Jesus, and he's carrying his cross, and he becomes sin for us, and he takes this, this judgment. He, pl- he dies in our place, the judgment and the wrath that we deserve. And then three days later, he rises again and conquers sin and death so that what is impossible for us is done for us, and we can be forgiven, we can be saved, and we can be with him forever. We, we just watch him work for his glory. Has he done that in you? Has, has Jesus done a work in your heart? Has he brought you out of sin? Do you love Jesus? And are you living like you're free? A living like you're free to live for his glory now? I love how one, one, one commentator, Peter N., said it this way. It's not that we're awaiting God's deliverance but that that deliverance has already come in Christ. So we're not to say that that what I am going through is like Israel's Egypt experience, but my Egypt is behind me. I am on the other side of the sea, so how am I expected to behave? 
If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is a work that has already been done in your life. God has brought you out. You are free. So are you living like that? Do you live in freedom? I I, I was struggling with this a little bit this week, just feeling like one of those moments where you just feel like sin has all the cards. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like I feel like I'm almost like feeling I'm powerless, and, and and it's just it's so much, it's so hard. I sometimes I feel like I'm trapped. But this this is the power of the gospel that I am dead to sin. I am alive to God. I am free, and sin no longer has any hold on me. That is what Jesus has done. I do. I have done nothing to deserve that. But there's a battle in the grave, and Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Jesus is awesome. Let's keep going. This is, this is good. Let's, let's get the rest of the story. Verse 15. Now, and now it's going to get fun. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will get glory. God is going to be glorified in this. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now check this out, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the, the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariots wheels so that they drove heavily and the Egyptians said let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians then the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea and the water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. This is God's doing the work. God's doing the work of saving. But here's our part, okay? Here's the second thing. Note this. We believe he has the power to save. We just watch him work for his glory and then we believe that he has the power to save. 
Now put yourself in Moses' shoes here. Think, think, think about this. Okay, so, so the children of Israel are freaking out a little bit because Pharaoh's army is barreling down on them. And Moses has demonstrated some incredible faith in the Lord. He, he's listened to God's promises. I don't know, maybe, maybe he's still kind of wondering how God is going to do that. Right? He's kind of like, okay, Lord, like, uh, it kind of seems like Pharaoh's going to win here. And, and I just told your people to sit back and watch, so what's the plan here? So, so here's what happens. God, verse 15, he calls Moses back into the locker room for halftime. It's halftime. We're getting the team back in here. We're going to go over the gameplay for the second half. This is kind of like the, the halftime speech in the middle of it, just to assure him of what's going to happen. And here's the plan, verse 16. Here's what I want you to do. Tell the people, go forward, so walk up to the water, and lift up your staff. Now, that should have been a powerful reminder for him right there. Remember the staff? Chapter 4, God had told him, I want you to take this staff, and it's with this that you're going to do all the signs. And that staff, he threw it down, and it became a serpent, maybe like the serpent that was on the crown of Pharaoh that represented his rule. But, but, but you do remember that, that Pharaoh's servants, he were also, they, they threw their uh, staffs down, and they became serpents too. But the, the problem for them was that Aaron's staff swallowed up all of theirs, foreshadowing what God was going to do in swallowing up the forces of Egypt in the Red Sea. Don't forget your staff. There's nothing magical about the staff, but this was a symbol. It was a reminder to Moses that God's power and God's presence was with him. Take your staff, verse 16, and then I want you to stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Now, listen, I know that this story is so familiar, we're like expecting it because we know what's coming, but can you imagine how crazy that must have sounded? Like, oh, like, just divide the sea. Like, yeah, of course, like, why didn't I think of that? Like, no, like, it's like God commands Moses to part the waters like he has experience doing that or something, right? Like, like, I just want you to go and part the waters, okay? And when you do, Israel is going to go through on dry ground. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. They're going to come after you, but I'm going to get glory over them. So second half starts, and God moves in between Egypt and Israel so that they have time to get through. And then verse 21, I love this. Moses stretched out his hand, and the Lord drove the sea back by a a strong wind, and, and, and he made the sea dry land and the waters are divided and it literally says that the waters became like a wall on the right and on the left can you just imagine what that moment must have been like like like, what what did that look like this is one of those stories that you just like I wish I wish I was there that would have been so cool to see that I I just want to know like if the waters are a wall on either side of you how many of you if you're walking through are going to want to go touch the water be honest okay like, I know this, this is the way it works. Last week we were doing Go Beyond. We're outside at the splash pad. Before we even go and pick up trash, my kid, they, like, they can't even help it, right? They see the water, and they can't resist the urge to just go touch it. I know that some of us are going to be doing that. Like, like, if we were in that moment, what must that have been like? How, how, what, 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 can you imagine? Like, maybe it was one of, those, uh, one of those tidal wave pools at a water park, you know what I'm talking about, where the water is just, like, rushing upwards like that. Or, or, or maybe it was a, like, like an aquarium, you're walking by and just kind of like looking at fish and the fish are looking back at you like, like we can't even believe this either. I mean, this is, this is one of the most jaw-dropping miracles the world has ever seen. But it shouldn't surprise us that God can do this. Verse 21 says that he made the sea dry land. He's actually done that before. 
Remember, Moses is the one who wrote Genesis. He wrote Exodus. He actually described creation like this. I've got it for you on the screen. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what it says. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let, here's the same Hebrew word, let the dry land appear. What Moses is doing for us in this moment is reminding us God is the creator. He he is demonstrating his power over everything he has made. Now, Pharaoh might have been feeling all big and bad, and, and, and you would think that as he's you know, coming over here and he sees this cloud lighting up the night and he sees the, you know, the waters parted, that he would start to rethink his priorities a little bit. Like, I've got, I've got swords and I've got chariots. Well, God's got, like, the whole earth, okay? You don't stand much of a chance. And yet he, he still just, because the Lord is hardening his heart, he chases after God throws them into a panic. Their their chariot wheels start getting stuck. All of a sudden, momentum is is turning. It's a whole new ball game, and and, and now it's their turn to start freaking out. They're like, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord. The Lord fights for them. Like, all of a sudden, everything has changed. They realize they're in trouble. And so God calls the final play, verse 26. Moses, come here, man. Here's, Here's what I need you to do. Stretch out your hand over the sea. Verse 29, the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the hosts of Pharaoh. Not, not one of them remained. The final buzzer sounds with these crashing waves and an explosion of mist, and all of them are drowned. Game over. And I'm sure, like, as, as the water stopped sloshing around and, and kind of slowly started rolling back into place, can you just imagine if you would have been in that moment? I think every Israelite just watching that must have just stood there in stunned silence. God just fought and defeated the most powerful army on earth without lifting a sword. And just as Pharaoh had tried to wipe out the Hebrews by throwing them into the waters of the Nile in chapter 1. Now God is getting justice and he wipes out Pharaoh's army by throwing them into the waters of the Red Sea. And then the, the chapter closes with this kind of recap. Verse 30 tells us, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. That word hand is the same word in Hebrew as the word power in the next verse, verse 31. Israel saw the great power, same word, the power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. The idea here is it's the hand, the hand that has controlling power. So what Moses is helping us understand, it's the hand of Egypt versus the hand of the Lord, which is greater. Our God has the power to save. And Israel becomes eyewitnesses to this. They start seeing the, the bodies washing up on the shore, just reminded, like, why, why were we fearing this? And their response, verse 31, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. They believed. I told you this is a picture of salvation. That we are saved by grace, through faith. See, when I was a kid, I kind of thought that this story and, and, and most of them, I usually thought of it in terms of like good guys versus bad guys, right? Like God wipes out, he takes out all the bad guys and he saves the good guys. But now that I've really come to understand God's word, I think I get it a little bit more clearly. Israel's not the good guys. 
They're not good. They're not somehow deserving of being saved. It is grace that God chooses to save sinners. And he's inviting us that that we would trust him, that we would put our faith in him. That's what Israel is doing in this moment. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 I've got it for you on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great hall of faith. It tells all these stories of people that lived by faith. It actually includes this story. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 29 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Listen, it took faith for them to step out onto that road, right, that's, that's through the waters, especially if you're a little claustrophobic or you can't swim. Like some of them might have been feeling like a, a, a little kid standing on the edge of a diving board for the first time. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure that I really want to do that. Because the fear of the Lord and, and trusting him is not their immediate response. We already saw back in verses 10 through 12, they're getting sarcastic. They're, 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 they're scared. They're questioning God's plan. They want to go back to Egypt. But God proves himself faithful. And he shows that he has the power to save. And they learn to trust him. Do you have faith in Jesus? Listen, I love that our faith is actually a gift. You know that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So the the Holy Spirit actually has to do a work in our hearts first in order for us to believe. Because we're spiritually dead. We can't do anything. We have to be made alive. But when he does that, and I'm praying that the Spirit is at work in you to do that, it's a gift, but it's also a responsibility. Because there's a call for us to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you put your trust in the only one who can save you? Now, I know that many of you, you you can remember the, the time, the day, the moment maybe when you first understood that you were a sinner and that you really needed Jesus to save you. And, and, and you, you can remember uh, like putting your faith in his work, not yours, but in what he did for you. But, but right now, now you're kind of feeling like you're, you're facing another impossible situation and you're struggling to trust him and, 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 and life is just hard. Listen, again, God does not promise that he's going to do for you what he did for Israel here in Exodus chapter 14 in your situation and just rescue you out of that immediate suffering and, and, and make it all go away. But he does promise that he's going to be with you in it. And, and, and while the Red Sea is a picture of what God has already done in us in salvation, it's also a reminder for us of what he's ultimately going to do for us in the future when he returns. And so we're looking forward to that day when he will come and he will set everything right and he's going to save us out of even the presence of sin and he's going to lead us into his presence in eternity where we're going to experience joy like we've never known before. We are going to experience an even greater exodus because of Jesus. So I do want to ask you this question because I think it's something that we need to wrestle with. And it's a simple question, but but maybe it's something you've not thought about. Do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? I think in Fairfax, we don't think about that a lot. Our, we, we don't think about our impending death. I mean, our, our death rate, I looked up some of the statistics. Our death rate here in our county is really low. It's about half what it is for the rest of the state. I think a lot of that is because most of us are, are young. We're in the prime of our life, and we're still living like we're invincible. But i got to tell you, here's what God's Word says, and history proves it out. 
our time is limited. So we better know what's going to happen. God is working judgment and salvation for his glory. So the question is, are you going to face him as your judge? Or will you turn now to Jesus as your Savior? Who died for you in your place so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be set free, and that you can live with him for all eternity. He says, all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in him, and you will be saved. Father, I pray that you would do that work in us. I pray that you would remind us of your grace, your mercy to us. Thank you that you save us. And while everybody's heads are down, eyes are closed, we're just focusing on the Lord. Maybe that's something that you have never done and you realize you don't know what's going to happen to you. I want to tell you the king is coming back and he is going to set all things right. But that's only good news if you're on the king's side. He wants to save you. If you realize that that's you and you need to trust in Jesus, you've been doing it your own way, but you know that you're guilty and you need to be forgiven. All he says is believe. Believe in what he has done. So right where you're at, I'm just going to invite you. You can just pray. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just pray it in the quietness of your mind and your heart. And if you want to trust in Jesus today, then just tell him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve judgment. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe. Please forgive me. Save me. And if you pray that prayer, then you are experiencing the great exodus. You are being led out of slavery, passing from death to life, and you can know that you're going to live with God for eternity and experience a joy that you'll never know here on earth. Father, I pray that you would remind us of how great and glorious Jesus is. Thank you for the victory that you have won. And I pray that you would get the glory in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.